0: Um, So much news is filled with negative things that there's been something incredibly positive in the news lately. Uh, February 8th, 11 days ago, in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, Asbury University had a a worship service. And there wasn't anything really unique or special about the worship service, but when it was over, some students stayed after, and some people gathered together, and they had continuous prayer they just started praying and someone started sharing their story and there was singing and there was it it was only a God thing because that service is actually still going on today it's just been this continuous thing and people have asked this is this actually revival Is it a spiritual awakening that God is doing on that campus? Will it stop there or will it spread to other places? I I don't know if you've seen the images, but let me just show a couple. Uh, This is a picture inside Asbury Chapel. People are just gathering and they're telling their stories and they're saying, I have this need. There's also this event is marked with confession where people are saying, I'm guilty and I'm wrong and I've done this and God, would you please forgive me? Um, This next picture, yeah, you'll you'll see that. There's actually a line outside their auditorium where this is going on, where people will wait for hours to be able to get in. You guys, this isn't something that is happening two thousand years ago. This is happening right now. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. What's happening inside of this? is I think just people who are desperate for God, that have such a hunger to know him and say, God, would you do something new and transformational among us? But um, it's interesting. Dr. Kevin Brown, the president of Asbury, he issued this comment. He said, we're experiencing historic moment at Asbury University. Uh, Since our regular scheduled chapel service on February 8th, there's been countless expressions and demonstrations of this, radical humility, compassion, confession, consecration, and surrender unto God. He goes on to say, we're witnessing what Scripture describes as the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-generosity, gentleness, and self-control. I I I just want to say a few things about this because a lot of people have had responses to this. And I just want to start by saying, praise God. I praise God that something like this is happening that is... It wasn't set up by professional religious people like myself. There's no name brand band on that stage. There's no smoke and lights and stuff like that but it's something that God chose to do in that moment and we just I'm celebrating that. Praise God. But that's not everybody's response to that. And I want to talk about this. Some is just curiosity. People are like, oh, there's something happening. And whatever's trending, some people chase after. We call them looky-loos. They're going there just to see what's happening. And I will tell you, that will ruin what's happening. Because what God, I think, desires are people who are hungry and passionate about saying, God, would you, whatever you did to them, I want that in my own life. Would you change me? As opposed to people who come, stand in the back and look at what's going on to Asbury and they're looking at it with a spirit of judgment saying, oh, do I believe this? Is it real? And it's important to be wise and critical about what's happening. But do you really want to be known as the critical person who is standing in judgment over something that God is doing? There's some people who are just doubters. They're like, you know what's happening there. They're singing those really emotional songs as opposed to the really boring songs? You know, they're just getting caught up in the emotionalism of it all. I doubt it will last. I doubt it will continue. Well, sure, it's not going to continue forever. Acts chapter 2 doesn't continue forever. It goes to Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, and it'll look different. But someone will look at it and just doubt. It's just emotionalism. There's also, I think, this. I think there's some people looking at it with jealousy. Why would God, of all places, pick Wilmore, Kentucky? I mean, that's the South. That's a Bible belt. Why would God do it there? I mean, we live in greater darkness in the Silicon Valley, don't we? Why wouldn't God do it here? I can tell you the answer to that. I have no idea. I don't know. Can I be honest? I'm a little jealous, too. I wish God did that here. There's another response to this. I think some was just arrogance. There have been people who have just said, hey, listen, when they say this, I mean they say it on social media. They'll say, hey, look, we did this without any professional pastors, no name brand band, no, no great light pyrotechnics, like God did this thing. God started this. And there could be an arrogance that says, look, we don't need the established church. It unleashed in a university. There's a way that arrogantly we can look down on how other pastors do things to say, look, this is the way. And what happens is this, is people want to take what happened there and say, see, that's the formula. We're going to create a formula and a strategy out of that. So listen, listen, here's the strategy. After this non-powerful worship gatherings over. Why don't y'all come to the front and start it when the pastor leaves? Because that's what happened, right? And the minute you become formulaic with how God pours out his power, he's like, y'all are being ridiculous. But there can be an arrogance there. I think genuinely, maybe it's not jealousy. Maybe there's just a hurt. Can I tell you, I know a lot of pastors who are good people. Who faithfully served their churches and never experienced a revival, an awakening, or even really significant growth. They have open seats in their church. And they genuinely, honestly go, God, why not us? I mean, God, why not here? Well, that longing can become a hurt. Or it can become a thing, I think, that drives people. Another response is just this. It's just being grateful. I mean, when someone experiences the powerful blessing of God and and their lives are changed because of it, can we simply stand up and be grateful for that? God, thank you for doing it for them, and I will not stop praying that for us. So question, what exactly is the Asbury experience? Is it a revival? Is it an awakening? I think the answer is this. We will know as time reveals. Because we still tell stories about revivals and we still tell stories about awakenings. And as time goes, you'll see the ripple effect of that. That if it is this great outpouring of God, then he'll reveal it to us. And if it's something that arises for a little and goes away, that is fine too. Was it an awakening or a revival or a great spiritual moment? I don't care what you call it. I'm just grateful for God that it's happening somewhere in our country today. So I think it points to this. I think there's no telling what God will do when a group of people, no matter what the size, come together and are just hungry and desperate for God to do something in them before God does something through them. Because we can look around and be like, God, change our city. God, change the people around me. But do we ever go, God, I'm so desperate. I want you to change me. Because I have a hunger, and I have a longing, and I have sin in my own life that I need to confess. I want to take a look at this because I'm going to walk you through a very similar revival and an awakening in Acts chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do. We've been in this Rooted series, and the Rooted series is all about this. It's all about taking, at the, taking a look at the original church. And they had these, these rhythms, and the rooted book we've been reading through has been taking us through the book of Acts, and it highlights these seven rhythms, right? These seven habits, these seven practices that the original church did, and we simply said, "This God, help us to, to uh, help us to put these and practice these into our lives, so that as we practice this, would you awaken our souls? Would you do something not just in us, but through us in this city?" And so we've been doing this rooted series and um, maybe you guys have had your, your, your prayer, your three-hour prayer time with your, your group where you did kind of a solo with God and then came together. And I know there's acts of service that are coming up and uh, our group is taking a look at how, how we're gonna do that. And I hope you guys will just plan on how you're putting these seven uh, habits into your life. But in the midst of this, those rhythms... I think, we were a response to what God was doing. And there was a revival and an awakening in Acts chapter 2 that bleeds over to Acts chapter 5. Let me read it to you, 5.12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them. Now, pause there for just a minute. Why was that? I told this story two weeks ago. Ananias and Sapphira, remember this story? Uh, they tried to deceive the church, lie to God about the generosity of the gift that they were bringing, and they both died. What this verse means is that when no one else wanted to join them, it's like no more looky-loos came exploring. But look at the next part. Nevertheless, oh, I can't skip this. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their numbers. So you see that there were, people were coming to them But it wasn't the looky lose. It was those who were genuinely hungry for God to change their life. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Here's what I want to talk through. There is no arguing that people's lives were transformed by the resurrection of Jesus. It's the resurrection that launched this explosive church where people all of a sudden confess their sins. Peter, you tell us this story about Jesus. Yes, we had him nailed to a tree. We killed him. And Peter says, but God brought him back to life. We saw it. We touched him. We talked to him. And he's like, well, what do I do? He's like, repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. As people start confessing, God, we've been in rebellion to you. God, I've been doing life my own way. God, I've been pursuing pleasure instead of obedience to God. And they have these moments of confession. And then they have this term repentance. And I know those two words don't really fit in the American church today. They should, but they just don't. Because we want to believe that the gospel is really just God loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. Part of the gospel is true. Not the whole gospel. The gospel is this, we live in rebellion to God. We pursue everything but God. And confession is this, God, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna change my ways. Repentance is walking to a life of God and saying, God, you're in charge of my life now. I'm no longer the Lord, the chief, the master of my life. You are, how then do I live? Jesus, I wanna walk in your ways. That's the gospel, that Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sin and rebellion so that he could empower us to walk in a new way. There's the gospel. And in this moment, they repented. I think what this story describes is the mission of the church. I mean, for for us, we say it this way. It's displaying the irresistibility of Jesus so that lives are transformed. We want to see radical transformation of people's lives that used to be centered and focused on their pleasure in themselves, radically forgiven by the blood of Christ, transformed into walking with him daily in power, so that they transform other people's lives. That's what I want our church to be about. Question, though. And I think this is the question of the morning. Do we really want to see lives transformed? I mean, do we really, honestly want to see lives transformed? Do we want to experience that for ourselves? Or are we content with reading about it in Wilmore, Kentucky? And we can say, wow, God, that's amazing. So glad you really did it there. But do we honestly, in your guts, do you want to experience that for for you personally? That God would awaken your soul. That he would put a, a craving inside you, not for the distasteful things that that often mark a life marked by sin, but now you would actually hunger and thirst for him and his presence? Do we truly, honestly want that, not just for us, but for our church, for all of those sitting around you? Do we honestly want this for our city so that our city is just radically transformed? Um, So here's what I want to walk through. What does it look like? for Christians to have transformed lives. What does that look like for us? I'm going to walk you through the story, highlight a couple points. I know some of you are nervous. I'm well into my message already. You haven't written down a fill-in yet. You'll be okay. So let me walk you through this. Christians who transform lives, and I realize this, God is the one who transforms lives, but he uses us to do it. Sometimes he works despite us. Sometimes he works with us. But as always, God is the one who transforms people's lives. But the first is this. If you were ever going to be used by God to transform someone's life, we have to first be transformed. We will be changed. Pastor Josh, last week in his message, he brought up this verse. I just wanted to show it to you one more time. Second Corinthians um, 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you've repented, you've confessed, you're committing your, your life to him. If that's the case, it says this, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And we walked in, in that, and Josh asked this question, is your identity in your past failures, or is your identity in Christ and who he calls you to be? But the problem is, most of us stop our conversion story there. <laughs> We're like, I'm so, I have this new life, look how amazing it is, it's so great, I love it. But the verse doesn't end there. It says all this is from God. The whole get rid of the old life, the new life he's creating you, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And we're like, yeah, reconciled, adopted into God's family. That's awesome. But the verse finishes and says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given you this calling, this ministry Of reconciliation, what does that mean? You're helping people who are far from God come to know who Jesus is and experiencing the same thing that you have. Really? Do we really long for that? Some of you have waited a long time for things. You've waited a long time to buy a house. Waited a long time to get married. Maybe you waited a long time for kids. Maybe you've waited a long time for a healing. And at some point in there, maybe it felt so long that you just went, God, I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Maybe you've wanted to experience the power of God for so long that you just came to a place you just go, I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. What I do know is this, if we ever have the hope of seeing this city transform, it has to begin with us. It begins with you. Your hunger for God. Your honesty before God that says, God, I don't follow you well always. I have to confess some things. One of the seven rhythms of this church that we're reading about in this whole rooted series is about confession and repentance. I will say this, under number two, that Christians who transform lives, some people are gonna love you. I mean, if you look in the text here, the, these people were loved. It said no other outsiders, looky-loos, dared to join them, but they were highly regarded. This group of people who experienced this great transformation, this awakening, this revival, they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord, they were added to their number. They loved them. You know Why? I mean, they love them because of all the love and care and compassion that they showed them. Most of the description of this church is how they help the sick and the hurting, right? If we're going to see great transformation, Christians who will see lives transformed, the third thing is we're going to care for the hurting, Listen to the text. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. There's this belief that Peter was given by God this miraculous ability to whatever he touched, his shadow falls on him, like the sick would get well. Amazing. By the way, don't have that gift. Wish I did. I've prayed for sick people. Some got well, some didn't. But when I look at this, this group of people cared so much for people and they were given this power that could heal sick people. And I'll be honest with you. Some of us have given up on praying for the miraculous. But I will tell you, if you're going to see lives transformed, the fourth thing is this. I think we will pray for the miraculous to happen. And if it doesn't, I love the approach of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember this Old Testament story? Sorry, not in your notes. I'm going off script here for a little bit. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're like, bow down and worship this foreign king. And they're like, whatever. They're like, no, you don't understand. We're gonna throw you in the fire. You're gonna die. I'm like, listen, if God chooses to save us through that, praise him. If he chooses not to save us, I'm still not gonna do the wrong thing and bow down to you. Listen, why don't we pray for miracles and let God decide the results of that? You don't boss them around like, I'm going to name it, claim it right here. You're going to be made well in the name of Jesus. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus has all the authority. He decides who gets made well. But God, I've kneeled before people. I've anointed them with oil. I have called the elders of the church to pray over people, and some of them have been healed. Others have not. I don't know why. But are we willing to pray for the miraculous? This Friday, in our chapel across the way, I'm going to officiate a service for Jesse Gomez. We've been praying for Jesse for uh, over a decade. He's been sick. His family has begged God to heal him, and God didn't. So we're going to have his memorial service, his celebration of life. But you know what is remarkable to me is the faith of Mary Lou, who's with us, and her kids today, who are adults. And their statement that, you know, we have never would have got through this without Jesus. You see, I think sometimes we're, pray, we're afraid to pray for miracles because we're like, well, what if God doesn't do it? God doesn't pray. God never promises us that he's going to heal people all the time. He always, his promise really is that he'll be with us in the midst of difficulties. But a church that's going to see life transformation, why would you stop praying for the miraculous? Don't give up on that. In this story of Acts, um, this whole community that they're experiencing this care and this power and popularity in the city, well, pretty much all changes right in verse 17. Because Christians who transform lives, they will actually be hated. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Who were the people who hated them? They were the religious establishment. Those people who were in power religiously. They were seeing their people leave the temple, go and follow these other Christians. Uh, Peter and his guy, I mean, they're getting really popular. And I think it's interesting I've watched people at our church um, start getting influenced by some different religious beliefs. I mean, I've been here for 20 years. I see people go from this church, and man, if they go to another Christian church, awesome, Bible teaching church, like you got some friends there, fantastic, super supportive of that. But I've watched some people at some times where they get enticed into an actually, a different religion, that is actually not of God and not a follower of Jesus. And at that moment, my heart breaks and I will speak words of warning. Don't do that, don't move that way. I mean, that thing is not of God. And I'll be honest, because some of y'all think this, oh, all roads just lead to the same God. No, they don't. Jesus made it super clear. It is only through him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him, yeah? But could you imagine if I approached that from a way of like, I'm just jealous. It's all about me. I want more people here. No, it's about care and concern for them. But that's not what these religious leaders are about. They have this jealousy that wells up inside them like, where are all the people going? Because it's about them. If we want to see lives transformed, I just want you to be really, really aware not everybody's going to respect you. Love you. Like you. They might even hate you. But when did the church start becoming people pleasers? Come on. Every single one of us, myself included. I I like to be liked and I hate to be hated. Don't you? Come on. Y'all like to be liked and we hate to be hated. And sometimes it affects how we dress, how we speak. It will make us silent in moments. It will make us say things in other moments. Listen, we like to be liked. It's called people pleasing though. And these apostles in this moment were hated by an established religious community and they didn't care. It didn't stop them. It's interesting if you follow this story, they're arrested, they're thrown in prison. In the middle of the night, this angel shows up opens the door, releases them, and gives them these orders. Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people about this new life. It's that simple. He didn't give them like nine points in a message. Sorry, I apologize for that today. He just said this. Just go tell them about this new life in Jesus. Just go tell them. It's that simple. I'm telling you, I think it's the same message that the church needs to hear today. Tell them Jesus's story and tell them your faith story. It's that simple. But the problem is we're such people pleasers that we don't want to offend people because honestly, the the greatest problem in our world today is that people are offended, right? Just go tell about this new story. Well, it's interesting because the temple courts, they reconvene the next day and they're like, hey, those guys we threw in prison, go get them. Someone goes to get them and they're like, "Mm, I don't know how to tell you this, they're not there. Someone comes running in and says, "Uh, those guys you arrested, they're actually out in the temple courts doing the very thing you warned them not to do. So they bring them in. Verse 27, chapter 5, verse 27, follow along. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. This is the same ruling council that had Jesus crucified by the Romans. And Peter and the other apostles, they replied, I mean, this is a moment where Peter has absolutely clarity and conviction and he makes this amazing statement. We must obey God rather than human beings. You can hate me. You can not approve of me. But my life has been changed by Jesus and I'm gonna do whatever he calls me to do. It's a risky, bold faith, but it's a faith that changed our world. Under number six, if you're following along, I think those that are going to transform lives will speak the story of Jesus boldly, regardless of people's approval. I think this may be why you and I, collectively, we need to lower the volume. We need to turn down the volume of the amount of people speaking to us and the amount of time we allow voices to gather in our head. Honestly, we need to turn down the volume of our social media. Because oftentimes, it's just about conflict and confrontation. Or often, people's beautiful stories. No one ever posts the tragic stuff and their failures, right? I mean, they post the highlight reel of their life. (laughs) But you know your real story. And our, our real story is never compared to anyone, anyone else's highlight reel, right? What if we actually turned the volume down on the amount of voices in our head and turned up the volume of God's voice? Because I will be honest, my own insecurity sometimes is so great that the voices in my head and all the people that I hear there drowns out the voice of God. And I'll be very honest with you my confession to you is i don't lead well sometimes i'm lazy there's moments where i'm confused there's moments i'm downright angry and i'm not god's man to lead this church at times because there's so many voices i'll be honest some of those voices are yours <laughs> Right? That's just honesty from a pastor. Like, I have people in my church. They're talking to me. And I'm not saying don't talk to me anymore. I, I love it. It's my responsibility to, to put your voice in its proper place. But to say, regardless of what you desire, I have to answer to the Lord. But so do you, right? We collectively. I'm not the only voice and the power in this church. There's the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that collectively we do this together. But I have other voices out there in the community. Be careful how bold you are. Be careful how much you talk about Jesus. Be careful how you don't be offensive with the message. And those are not the voice of God, I think. What's, what's speaking in your head? Everybody else's voices or God's voice? Let me get to the end of this. Um, a guy stands up in the midst of this story. His name's Gamaliel. He's actually the one who trained the apostle Paul. But Paul at this point is still Saul, the bad guy, right? And Gamaliel stands up and he says, "Uh, hey, pay attention to this. There have been other people who've led revolts and rebellions against our religious establishment in the past. The first guy, remember this guy? He died. The Romans killed him because they thought he was a threat. The whole movement went away. Now that second guy, Judas the Galilean, he rose up. He had a group of people that followed him. The Romans killed him too, and it all dissipated. So he talks to this jewish ruling council and he says this what if we just let the romans deal with them we don't have to deal with them just leave them alone when the romans kill them because they're rising up if this thing is not of god it's just going to waste away why would you worry about it so he just says this he says leave them alone let them go verse 38 for if their purpose or activity is of human origin it will fail Man, if you have a pen, underline this next verse. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Here's what I love about this. Christians who transform lives will be unstoppable when living in God's power. The one who was an enemy of the disciples gave us a wonderful biblical truth that when you stand and follow God and live in his power, ain't nothing going to stop. You can't be stopped by someone threatening you. If you don't believe this, go to Italy. They have entire coliseums where Christians were thrown in to say, renounce your faith or get eaten by lions, killed by warriors. Like, we will kill you. And that same coliseum today hangs a cross, the symbol of the death of Christ, about how his blood paid for our sins. The very thing that oppressed Christians is now a symbol of Christianity today. You can't stop him. You can't stop him, which is why I'd be very, very careful of religious movements that you might be willing to judge, criticize, or doubt upon, like the Asbury situation. Revival, awakening, I don't know. I'm just so grateful to God because people are confessing and coming to know Jesus and truly walking in his ways. I want to be that kind of unstoppable group of people, don't you? Now, if we stopped the story there, I'd be like, Grab your Bibles and let's go change the world. Let's go. Here's the problem. I would leave you super ill-equipped to change the world because of what happens next. Look at verse 40, and we'll finish with this here. They called the apostles in and they had them flogged. Y'all seen the passion of the Christ, right? So you know what this is. It's cat of nine-tails, this whip that has bone fragment, metal fragment in, in it. It's designed to be wrapped around a body. Grab flesh pulled so that bits of flesh come off. They were so good at this, they knew that if you whip somebody 40 times with this, it was imminent death. So oftentimes they would whip them 39 times. They didn't get spanked. They didn't get disciplined. They were brought to the brink of death and then set free. For the rest of their lives, their bodies would have the scars of what it meant to endure pain, to suffer for the cause of Christ. This story goes on. They then ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. That'll teach them. People never come back from that. The text reads, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, and this baffles me. Rejoicing. Because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, it's the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Christians who transform lives, listen, they will find Christ in the midst of suffering. They will find Christ, I think, in the midst of suffering. When I physically suffer, I use that word very lightly because none of us have suffered the way they just suffered. But somehow, they experienced Jesus in a whole new way that you and I probably never will. They had a depth and a richness and a joy to them that we don't have. Because we got a lot. But here's the prayer of the North American church. And I know you pray for it just like I do. You ready? Dear God, would you bless us? And dear God, would you keep us? How'd you know that word? Because that's what we pray for every single day. God, would you protect my family? Would you keep us safe? Would you put your hand of blessing over us? We pray for blessing and safety all the time. When the joke is this, North American church, we are the most blessed People in the world. I mean, we're financially the most blessed people in the world. And because of our finances, often we're the most protected. We have all kinds of safety mechanisms in our life. You got insurances. You got super safe cars. You got alarm systems on your house. I mean you're my house, yeah. We pray for this safety and this comfortability, but I don't think we necessarily get safety and comfort. We we got we got a choice here. You ready? You can pray for safety, you can pray for comfort. Or you can pray to change the world, but you don't get both. God is not concerned so much about our comfort and safety as he is. Will you be the agents of transformation in this world? I think the Asbury situation transpired because it was God's choice to do that. But it did not take place without people willing to stay and say, God, I'm so hungry for you. I don't want to just sing along with a song, I want to pour my heart out to you God. God, so and so is sick, would you heal them? God, I've run my life my own way for so long, so would you would you step in and help me? Acts chapter 5. Their boldness, willingness to suffer didn't begin in Acts chapter 5. It was not a moment where they just went, "You know what? Let's suffer. Woo, let's go." We're going to tell the story of Jesus regardless. You know what it was from? It was from Acts chapter 4. I'm going to finish with this right now. I know I'm over time. I don't really care. I know you got lunch to get to. Who cares? I'll get you out of here before the sun goes down. Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they are threatened. And this is what the text says. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They gather together. They're praying in this moment. And all the believers are together, and this is what they pray for. At the end of their prayer, they say this, verse 29, chapter 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats. The same enemies that flogged them, okay? They had threatened them before. We're going to kill you. We're going to do away with you. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Not God save us, not God protect us, not God give us comfort, not God bless us, but God, would you enable your servants, give us the supernatural ability and power to speak your word with great boldness? And would you stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? That's what they prayed for. And then Acts chapter five took place. What, what if we, instead of jumping right to Acts chapter five, we went to Acts chapter four? And we, with all humility, knowing that we don't actually have the power by ourselves to do this thing, that you can't create revival, you can't create an awakening, you can't even change your own life. It is God who changes your life. But what if we went to Acts chapter four and just said, God, like them, we want to gather as a group of people and say, God, would you help us, empower us to speak the word of God boldly and give us the courage to pray for miracles and not doubt. And leave it all up to God as to whose soul he awakens. I think this is Christians who transform lives. They're going to pray for boldness and they're going to pray for power. But I think the question is this, do we really want to experience an awakening or a revival? First in us and then around us and through us. I think that's the question that is dominating this moment in the history of our country and in this church today. I think the only way to really end this message in time today is, I mean, I can pray a prayer and just let you go. But I just wonder if this is not the pastor's moment, but this is your moment. Where if you, like the Acts chapter 4 church, might just get on your knees and say, God, start with me. That might lead to a confession. <laughs> it might lead to a repentance. It might lead to you being, instead of silent now, actually bold about Jesus' story and your faith story. So let's end that way. I'm going to invite you right now, where you're at, if you're physically able to do this, to just turn and slip to your knees. And I want you to pray. I'll guide you in this prayer. Go ahead. If you want to, you don't, you don't have to. Spirit of God, lead you in this, Jesus. Not my thoughts, but let these be yours. And I just want to have a moment of prayer. I'll give you some thoughts here, some prompts. And if you want to pray this, you're welcome to pray this. And honestly, I seriously want just the the people pleasing pressure of this to be erased in this moment. Like, no one is even looking at you. I don't care if you're sitting in a chair or you're on your knees. I just want you to be before God. Maybe it's this, God, forgive me for my silence. God, forgive us for being more concerned about what people think than about pursuing you. Maybe it's just, God, forgive me because I, I just haven't been hungry for you. And maybe that's just honest Maybe there's something super clear in your mind right now. God, forgive me for my sin. I just know that we pursue pleasure over pursuing God. Maybe it's God, forgive me for pursuing safety and comfort over boldness. If you need an honest moment of confession, just take that. I'm serious. Speak it to God right now. For some of you, this moment of confession, um, you know you haven't been following Jesus. You know that you are not walking the Christian life. That you're not walking with him and following his ways. You know this because as I've been speaking, there is an emptiness to your soul and there's a disconnect and you are feeling it. I'm going to invite you to do this. Just confess that to him and ask for his forgiveness. But if you're going to make that decision, listen, He not only wants to forgive you, he wants to change you. And repentance is walking away from that sinful life and walking in obedience to Jesus. And you might not know the ways of Jesus, and so it's a commitment to walk in learning the ways of Jesus and obeying it. You know what we call this? We call this becoming a Christian. And if you need to do that today, you'll know it by the emptiness of your own soul. You're feeling it right now. So instead of me being concerned with what it is you're thinking about, as you're praying to God right now, I'm going to ask you to do something. If you need to become a Christian today, don't worry about anybody else around you. Here's what I want you to do. Stand to your feet. I know it's bold. It's risky. I want you to stand to your feet if you're going to give your life to Christ today. And stay standing. I want you to stand there. And you keep praying, you just keep talking to God about whatever it is that he brings to your mind. But I want to talk to another group of you that if you're a follower of Christ today, I mean, you're a Christian, but you recognize that your life is revolving around you and not about God's mission, I'm gonna invite you to make a change today. Because when you're hungry for God, the habits follow that. The desire to see transformation and our prayers, They change. And so listen, if you're a Christian, but you've been just at the center of your own world and you haven't asked God to use you to transform people's lives and you want to see that become different today and you're going to commit yourself to being the kind of person who embraces the ministry of reconciliation that God has called you to. I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to stand to your feet. You've been lazy. You haven't done it. You've been wasting your, your money and your time. This is honest confession. You're not standing for anybody looking at you, but you're going to stand to say, I got to put a flag in the sand today. I want to see God change lives. If you want that, stand to your feet. So I'm going to pray for you. As I pray, you pray, let's all pray together. God, forgive us. We know that our lives have been about us. Too much about our comfort, too much about our safety. And we just confess that today. God, I admit that my life feels empty because of it. But God, we know this, that Jesus died on the cross. That was the payment for my sins. And God, I ask you to make that forgiveness transformational today. And we commit to this, God. We're going to follow you for the rest of our days. And we commit to telling your story. And we commit to telling our own faith story to people. God, give us that kind of boldness. God, would you, by your power, use us to change this world, to change this city, to change this church, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said,